this evening we are going to, um, Lord willing, have a one-shot, one-kill scenario on this issue, mainly because there's not a great deal of reason to drag it out. It should be uh, possible to deal with this uh, tonight only and, uh, and kind of just hit this issue um, without having to drag it out, which I'm good at. But of course, y'all know where it came from. The apple did not fall too far from the tree. And uh, some people are like, yeah, the rotten apple didn't fall too far. I know, I know. But <clears throat> take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to have a very familiar verse, and uh, we're going to look at, at the last, um, last several verses, verse 51 through verse number 58. <clears throat> and so in these, these eight verses... We, um, we're going to, again, it does not deal directly with what we're going to talk about, but it is the closest in, in getting to where we're going to head um, for tonight. You'll understand a little bit why <clears throat> in just a moment. But uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1 down to verse number 8, let me read this. And then I will let you know what our topic and subject is for this evening. But start in verse number 51 of 1 Corinthians 15. It said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, we're not dealing with the idea of soul sleep. Some of you are like, oh, I know where we're going. Nope, we're not going there. Um, though that wouldn't be a bad topic, and some of y'all may not know what the idea of soul sleep is. Um, it is a, a debate as to whether or not we are, uh, when we die, we're in the presence of God, or when we die, we technically are sleeping until we are resurrected, and we don't actually know the presence of God until we're resurrected, okay? That's the basics of soul sleep, um, and, it, and it's referenced because of how many times it talks about here in 1 Corinthians, as well as over in 1 Thessalonians, um, where it talks about sleep. We sleep, we sleep. I just want you to understand when it talks about sleep, you have to also look at um, the, the, the time frame you're in, look at the people you're dealing with, look at the terminologies that they use to explain things. And uh, in that culture, the Jewish culture of that time, uh, one of the easiest things to deal with death is to talk about it is, how do you describe death? Well, it's as though you're sleeping for the child of God. It's not, death has no hold, death has no, has no finality, it's not you die, you're in the grave, it's over with, there's nothing after that. Um, so the best way to describe it in the culture and the things of that nature is to talk about it as though, spiritually speaking, to a degree where the, the child of God is just sleeping. By the way, uh, it also references back to when Christ himself talked about the damsel uh, who had died, the young lady who had died, he said, weep not, she's not dead, she just sleepeth. And so people will take those things and say, see, see, when you die, you're not in God's presence, you're just sleeping. Um, but that's a mis, I believe, a misunderstanding and a misinterpretation of what's happening because they're not taking into account the teaching of culture to, to have the idea of how would they handle the idea of death not being permanent. Well, it's like being asleep. But like being asleep and literally just being asleep with your soul until the Lord raises you, two different things. The likeness of 
and the actuality of two separate things, all right? So soul sleep is a whole different scenario. We're not going there to go deep into that. But don't get mixed up in all that um, as to what some people try to hold to. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So explain how it is that God's going to raise up and we're going to... I don't know all the pieces and parts and everything, but I know there are some very specific statements made that you have to remove if you're going to believe something that it means that we're not in the presence of God when we die. So you have to ignore Scripture to to come up with this, this whole philosophy. All right, moving on. That one's dead. It's gone. So... We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Oh, by the way, also with that, just keep in mind, that is the nursery's theme verse. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Okay, some of y'all get that later. All right, Um, verse number 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trump, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. We've been dealing with the sin and law and all in Romans. And so death sting is sin. But for the child of God, sin has been dealt with. Therefore, death hath no more sting. And the sting of sin and the strength of sin is the law. We're not bound by sin because we've been set free by the grace of God. Okay, so Romans, uh, Romans chapter 6 and all that all applies in, in this Uh, Then verse number 57, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So this passage of scripture, there's several things that can be preached from this passage of scripture, and that's not even counting the verses prior to this. But just in those eight verses, several messages could be brought. Now, I'm going to use it as a springboard tonight to deal with something that has been brought uh, to me in question several times, uh, not just here, but in other places, but also here. Uh, Several folks have asked me uh, concerning this question, so I figured we'd just go ahead and we'll just hit it right now and, uh, and look at the Bible as much as we possibly can, where anything is found concerning this, and uh, try to get some answers as to, um, you know, what, what meaneth these things. Uh, is there a thus saith the Lord concerning, here it is, you ready? Cremation or burial? Is there a thus saith the Lord between cremation or burial? Um, I, I'll give you this. Many people have asked several questions, some of them being like this. Is cremation found in the Bible? Is cremation a sin? Does cremation destroy both body and soul? Can you still go to heaven if you are cremated? Does cremation destroy a bodily, the possibility of a bodily resurrection? And then here is my favorite one. Isn't cremation a pagan practice? And we're going to answer these questions tonight. All right? And we're going to use as much Bible as we possibly can. You say, preacher, why do you say it that way? Um, Well, I'll let you know in a minute. 
Let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to help us as we look at this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. I pray that you'd help us to be, Lord, swift yet clear as we look at uh, these questions concerning is there a particular command given for how we handle uh, the end of our life and how we handle uh, the dealing with the body after death. I pray that you would help us to, to see these things and understand what it is that we look at tonight and come to, Lord, I believe, the conclusion that we must come to this evening. Again, uh, would you just guide us, or may you get the honor and glory for all that we do and what we learn tonight. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, this is not, it doesn't seem to be, and honestly, in, in some cases, people, some people say, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's not that big of a deal. It's not a huge deal, but uh, for some people, it is. Uh, for some, the idea of cremation is sinful. And for some, the idea that somebody would be cremated is going against the natural law of God, and therefore there's, there's a problem with that. Now, there are some that hold to that, and there are some that hold to the fact that, you know, death is death, burial is burial. How you, how you do it shouldn't really matter. And so we're going to look at some of these things, but before we do, I'm going to build a little bit of an understanding, a little bit of a foundation of where, to a degree, cremation started. Now, as we get to go into this tonight, and we're going to, Lord willing, wrap it all up, I want you to understand two general rules that you, that you need to hold to when looking at differing views of what the Bible has to say about something and looking and have an open, honest look at does the Bible talk about it, what does the Bible say, and is there a command we must follow? So uh, there, are, there are areas in which, of this nature even, where people are extremely dogmatic on their stand concerning how it should be done. They're very specific, very dogmatic, and if you don't do it that way, you're not right with God, okay? But here's two rules to understand um, to operate by concerning truth and preference, okay? When the Bible is direct and specific and clear concerning a particular subject, do not hesitate to stand firm on the clarity of God's word. All right? When the Bible is, specific, is direct and specifically clear concerning a particular subject, do not hesitate to stand firmly on the clarity of God's word. Don't wishy-washy it. Don't water it down. If the Bible gives a command, the Bible is clear, stick with what's clear, be dogmatic about it. When the Bible is not direct and specifically clear concerning a particular subject, be very careful holding a dogmatic opinion of what you think God expects or intended for us to follow. Because it's dangerous when the Bible is not fully clear and does not say a, a thou shalt not. Now again, I'm not saying you can't, there, there's times when you don't hear a thou shalt, thou shalt not. But as you read through the Bible, you see very specific and very clear directions and commands that together, put together, you see a very clear principle of how I should live my life. Okay? So, there are things where we are given clear direction, and then there are some things where we're not given all the details and all specific, here's what you do. 
So when you have clarity, when the Bible is clear, don't wishy-washy it and don't, uh, don't beat around the bush. Stand firm. Where it's not clear, be careful how dogmatic you are. Well, God said it. Did he? Well, this is Bible. Is it? Book, chapter, verse. Okay? So, keep that in mind. Some of y'all are already afraid. Okay? Keep that in mind. Here we go. Let me give you a little history of where cremation began in the USA. I can't talk about other countries, don't know about other countries, but here's a little bit of history of where it started here in the United States. The first United States indoor crematorium was opened in 1876 in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And Yankees always causing trouble. I'm picking, all right? And it was created by Francis Lemoyne. I'm leaving it alone. All right. He very quickly came under great criticism. Now, I want you to understand, he came under the harshest and greatest criticism by one particular religious group. Anybody want to guess? Say again. Oh, that's a guess. It's wrong, but it's a guess. Oh, it's a guess. It's still wrong. Huh? Not Mormons. There we go, Catholic, all right? All right. If we were down in South Louisiana, that'd be the first choice because they're everywhere. Uh, up here, um, it's not, a, not as prominent, but the Catholic church, I mean, vehemently attacked this whole idea because they had a particular layout of what was considered to be a Christian burial and therefore, they, they had tacked on to the Christian burial a whole bunch of uh, extra stuff that made it super special and special to God. And so therefore, to go around this, there's some problems. But as a whole, <clears throat> here's two main reasons that they didn't like it. It threatened the accepted common Christian rule for burial. And uh, many considered it, considered it a direct assault on the morals and dignity of society. All right? The dignity of having a, a, a time frame when, the, when people came and paid their respects and the dignity of having a, a, a burial funeral where, where Bible scripture is read over to encourage the family out of, out of 1 Corinthians and out of 1 Thessalonians and you know all these, this, this traditional style. And again, I, I'm, not, I'm not putting it down, so don't, don't get mad at me. I'm not putting it down. I, I love the traditional style. I prefer traditional style of a funeral because I believe there's a lot more opportunity to in this life bid our farewells a lot more opportunity in this life to see the reality of it's just a shell it's not the person the person that is a child of God is already gone I mean there's so many aspects we're going to get to that in a minute but because it appeared to assault that the morals and the dignity of known society, the way they operated at that time, it was just unheard of to have this. And so the Catholic Church fought heavily against the idea of cremation being an acceptable form of dealing with death for any individual. However, that all changed. Like, like most things, um, that which is convenient changes the law of the Catholic Church. I'm not trying to put them down, but here's where a lot of things begin to shift. In 1963, the Catholic Church lifted their ban on the act of cremation because of three basic issues. 
One, sanitation. There's going to be a lot more sanitized way of doing it. When you went through the, the, the plagues and stuff like that, you had no choice but to burn. You couldn't just bury. And so the idea of getting rid of any disease and germs, you know, sanitation was a big issue that, that arised. And, um, and then overcrowded cemeteries. I ain't got no more room to put nobody. You know, if we actually can condense them down to a small little jar, we have tons of more room to sell plots. All right, so that's where it comes down to. Then also, they, they began to look at the financial concerns for the parishioners uh, and the fact that so many of them were so poor, they couldn't even hardly afford a pine box, or much less pay a preacher or all the different people they would pay. And of course, that has not gotten much better. Average, uh, average funeral, full-fledged uh, funeral today uh, is in the nature of the least lowest, around $8,000, and you're looking fifteen to twenty in some. Depending on the area, it can be even higher. Um, depending on how much land costs. You know how much that little, little plot you buy? It's a ridiculous. And, uh, and so, it's, I mean, yeah, it's going to be used for a while, but not like you're going to benefit from it personally, right? Now, I know this is, y'all bear with me. I know this is kind of a, a morbid topic. I get that, but... It's one that we have to kind of visit to understand whether or not we have some directions in God's word concerning it. Uh, here's an interesting thing that I wasn't quite aware of until I was looking at this. But um, there's been a growth of popularity, if y'all haven't noticed, in the idea of cremation versus typical burial. In 1970, there was less than 5% of Americans that would choose cremation. By 2020 approximately 56% of all Americans claimed that cremation would be their preference. And now it is estimated by those in the funeral home and all that kind of stuff, in, in that business side of it all, uh, it is estimated that on, on this track, by 2035, at least 80%, if not higher than that, of all Americans will prefer cremation over regular burial by choice. So it's growing in popularity, and, and there's a few reasons for that. Um, first and top priority, financial strain. You look at the cost of uh, it, literally, there, there are some places, uh, nine, <laughs> they're selling funerals. Here's all the stuff you're going to pay for a regular thing, and we're going to give you a deal. Only $9.99 for a, a full everything, $9.99, cremated Canister, whole service, all that kind of $9.99, complete, that's it, and you're done. Uh, you know, uh, sales pitch, $8,000 plus or $9.99. Which one is going to be more feasible for most people that are already struggling financially? So it's, it's kind of increased the popularity. Um, environmental concerns, oh, that's a good one. There's a big argument over environmental concerns of all these people being buried, and may I say, the biggest environmental concern is the gallons upon gallons of multiple chemicals used in the process of preparation for burial. Plus, all the fancy metals and everything else put into the caskets, which now is why they're putting even the caskets into concrete. You have to buy not only a casket, now you've got to also buy a concrete sealed up tomb type thing that fully seals, anchors down, closes off. Why? Because 
there's so many pollutants in all that's used today to be fancy that, uh, you know, environmentalists have thrown a fit over it. And so therefore, cremation makes uh, the environmental side of things a lot easier to handle without environmental concerns. Then, the increased lack of, and this, this one hurts to a degree, but the increased lack of connection to the church. It used to be, the reason the typical burial would be centered around the church. A person, now sometimes it'd be at the home, the morning, all kind of stuff would take place. But the burial would be centered around mostly having a service at the church that was mostly attended by your church family and other family members. But when there's a, a disconnect and most people have no need of the church, why do I need to have some big fancy thing? Just, you know, spread my ashes across the water. So there is a legitimate side of dealing with things concerning a lack of connection to going to church, being a part of a church body, being a child of God, things of that nature. And, and I'm not against, again, Peck Funeral Home here, um, one of the best I've ever known and uh, how they handle things. But may I say, um, most funerals today, most are held at the funeral home in their chapels where every possible religion you can think of goes and holds something. In fact, you go down, we went down to, uh, it's been a year now, uh, my wife's grandmother passed away and we held her service in their, now in their funeral homes, since it is major, majorly Catholic, the entire place is built. Mama June. No. Oh, Aunt Gladys, not Mama June, sorry. Mama June was at the church. Aunt Gladys, I'm getting them mixed up. Aunt Gladys was in New Orleans. My wife's looking at me, she's shaking her head. I'm like, yeah? She's like, no. All right, but uh, that's why I keep her around. She keeps me straight. But, um, but Aunt Gladys went down to New Orleans. In New Orleans, it was a funeral home, but I'm talking about you, you walked into a Catholic mass-looking type scenario. Um, we had to kind of move all the Catholic stuff out of the way. It was not designed for a traditional Baptist funeral, per se. And so, again, um, the church is a connection that's kind of been lost, which brings about some value of why we would do some things that we do. Um, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that if, you're not, if, you're not, um, uh, if your funeral is not held in the church, well, bless God, you're, you're, you're not right with God. I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not saying that, so don't get mad uh, or hurt over that. Um, but it used to be a commonality. It used to be a common thing that's not so common anymore. So what does the Bible say concerning this? That's just a little bit of history. What does the Bible say? I'm going to get through these points together. I'm going to answer these questions. Uh, there's not a whole lot of scripture we can go to because, let me just be honest with you, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about it. Read your Bible. The Bible does not have a lot to say about how to, what to, when to, the do nots, do's, and all that kind of stuff. It is important to, to note that it is not, the Bible does not directly dictate anything about the methods of how a believer should be buried after death. It is important to note that the seemingly accepted form of burial after death that we kind of hold to being traditional is in both the Old and New Testaments, uh, it is found 
uh, to be the traditional way a true bodily burial. So you see the evidence of the act. Some of that, though, is cultural-based. It has nothing to do, per se, with a command. It is a cultural thing. Um, It also would have to do with what would be accepted as the best form of that day in that place. Um, However, the general, put it this way, the generally accepted form is not to be confused as being the equivalent of a direct command. Does that make sense? Just because you see a generally accepted form and you see the evidence, examples of people being buried that way is not equivalent to God gave a command. Okay? So let's ask some questions. Is cremation found in the Bible? As a whole, with the name cremation or that scenario for burial, you're not going to find a very direct time where somebody, the Bible talks about it, and so-and-so was, was burnt to ashes and buried. You, know, you don't see all that, but you do see a couple of, and I'm not going to go there for sake of time tonight, but write these verses down if you want to um, in, well, no, I am going to go there. Take it back, going to go. We don't have a lot of scriptures we can turn to uh, with all this. So let's just go ahead and go to it. First Samuel 31, First Samuel 31 um, verse 8 through verse, 12, uh, through verse 13 uh, gives us an account of Saul and his sons. Saul and his sons were burnt with fire after being taken down off the wall, all right? And they were burnt with fire before being buried as a whole. Now, do understand, not trying to be morbid, I want you to understand one area dealing with cremation, when a body is burned, it would take a very long time, very high heat for the bones themselves to burn as well. Therefore, they can only burn so far to a point and it's no longer cost effective. They have to use other methods to grind down the remains, which is why you find out here when Saul and his sons are buried, they are burned and then that which remains is buried. So it would be the bones it talks about. Look here in, in, in um, uh, 1 Samuel 31, verse 8 through 13. It says, And it came uh, to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Geboa, and they cut off his head and stripped of his armor and sent uh, into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshen. Uh, and when the inhabitants of uh, Jabesh Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshen and came to Jabesh and burnt them there. Cremation as a whole, okay? And they took their bones the remainder that would not have burned, no matter how long they burned them, took their bones um, and and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So this is one of the closest accounts that you're going to find to the idea of of cremation in the Bible. But may I say, um, people will try to use this as, you see, you see, it's it's allowable. Well, here's here's the thing. When it comes to cremation, this right here is under the understanding of necessity. Um, They were so... 
abused and so mutilated that the idea of trying to have a funeral where they would be presented before people to come and mourn their death was just unfathomable. We cannot do that. There's no way to do this. The only way to honor them is is to destroy that which has been done to them. We're not going to remember them in this way. And so they took them, they burned them, and what remained, they buried. So that was out of a necessity of graciousness because of what had been done to Saul and his sons, having lost the battle against the Philistines. Then you have some that will say, oh, 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 yep, but I know of another one, Achan. Achan and his family, they were burned. Okay, go with me to Joshua. Let's look at that one real quick. This is the only other one we're going to go to. Joshua chapter 7. And there's a lot of reading on this one, so I'm not going to go verse 1 down to verse number 26. Um, you know the story and how they, there was sin in the camp, and it fell to Achan and... Um, Uh, Verse number 16 begins to talk about how Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes and by the tribe of Judah was taken and they went down until they came to um, Achan and his family. And verse number 19 says, And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession unto, unto him and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. The uh, Bible goes on to talk about how Jake, uh, Achan answered. Achan told the truth. Achan showed him all that he had done, showed him the, the stuff that he had taken. And, um, and he talked about how when he saw the spoils and all the different things, he just he couldn't help himself. He had to have it. He wanted it bad. He had envy. He had greed. And he gave in to the temptation. And so verse number 22 says, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran unto uh, the tent. And behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire. There it is right there. They burned them with fire. Cremation. After they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore the name of that place was called the valley of Achor unto this day day. And so you say, wait, you see, right there, cremation. But you got to understand, the situation with Saul and his sons was out of necessity. The situation with Achan and his family was out of judgment. It was not by choice. That was the judgment. And all Israel saw how God handles those who steal and take what belongs to him. There was sin in the camp. Sin got dealt with and, uh, and so you got to be careful using those. There are some that use both of those accounts as um, uh, um, pros for yes. See, we are pro-cremation. Even It's in the Bible. God allows it. 
Necessity and judgment, those are about the only two times you really see that. There are some others, but um, you don't just see a whole bunch of evidence of it being done by choice, okay? But uh, that, that kind of answers, is it found in the Bible? Yes, but no, not really as a you can do this or you should not. Um, is cremation a sin? And couple with that, does cremation destroy both body and soul? See, the idea of it being a sin comes from the Catholic background Cremation is a sin, and if you, if you cremate yourself, you will destroy both body and soul. You cannot go to heaven. You cannot be a part of all those things. You cannot be forgiven because it is a sin. The Bible gives no direct condemnation for cremation. It is important to note that uh, this um, thought process lends the, to the idea of a work salvation. You messed up in the last, your last choice after you died, you, before you died, you made the choice to be cremated. That is a sin according to the church. And so therefore, all of a sudden, not, not, again, not according to the Bible, according to the church. That's the way the, the Catholic church would put things when they put laws in place. If they couldn't find Bible, it's according to the church. You don't go against the church. You go against church, you go against Christ. <laughs> so um, the, is cremation a sin? Not according to the Bible. There's no direct condemnation. Uh, is, is cremation destroying the body and the soul? Do you all of a sudden somehow um, have now the misinterpreted teaching of unpardonable sin? Which also is coupled, uh, and th- this has been used, that unpardonable sin has been used by, by several, but especially the Catholic Church, to strike fear against two different acts. One was before, of course, they approved cremation, before they approved it, they used it as a fear tactic to get people to be af- afraid that if I cremate myself or I, anybody know the other one they say is a sin, that, that is the unpardonable sin? Suicide. If I commit suicide or I have my body cremated, I, it's the unpardonable sin, so therefore I'm in trouble. Okay, so that, that's what that lens. Is it, is it a sin? Does it destroy both body and soul? Um, that really comes from a Catholic church teaching and leaning more than anything, which, of course, they've now approved it, so cremation's okay. Um, number three, do this one, we got one more. Can you still go to heaven if you are cremated? And then the question that couples with that, does cremation destroy a bodily resurrection? Does it ruin the opportunity for a bodily resurrection? Well, uh, keep in mind that eternity in God's presence is not determined by what we do, but by what Christ has done. So keep that in mind. In reference to a bodily resurrection, there are a few notable issues that we can investigate. Number one, we are made from dust, and we will return to dust. You say, show me that. Glad you asked. Genesis 2, 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. There's the start. And then God himself in Genesis 3, 19 declares what happens in the end. In the, uh, in, uh, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. God himself declared, I made you out of dust, 
And when you die and you, and, and you are, if your body was placed in the ground naturally, you would turn right back into what I made you from. That's how God designed it. So if God's design is that if I was to die and the Lord didn't come back for another hundred years and I sat in the ground and this old fleshly body rotted and turned back to dust, does that mean all of a sudden because my body is dust, I've, I've missed out on a bodily resurrection because I don't have a body anymore? Well, no. God designed it that way. So understand cremation, and this is the interesting thought. Since we, turned, we return to dust, we are made from dust, we go back to the dust. Cremation as a whole is actually just a time lapse of what naturally happens already. It's kind of speeding up what is going to happen if you're just left to do what God designed the body to do. Um, then also, many have died through complete annihilation. Uh, take the example of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. When those bombs went off, there were people completely vaporized in a moment. There is no body. You want to talk about cremated, that was the most successful version of cremation you'll ever have of millions of people. Boom. Oh, what about the concentration camps? Millions of Jews were killed and gassed, some of them thrown into massive graves. Many of them, though, they completely burned before burying. There are some that have died through complete annihilation. And, and also with that coupled as a third thought, many have had no choice in how they face death. A burial at sea would be of great concern if you are unable to guarantee the protection of the body placed in the water. Uh, how about those who went down with their ship and were eaten by sharks? You realize there, there is a lot of people who are spread across the entire ocean in multiple fishies. And I'm, trying, I'm not trying to make light of it, but when you think about it, here, here's the question. Does it stop a bodily resurrection? If I'm cremated, does it stop a bodily resurrection? The important question to ask is, is God honestly incapable of putting back together what he formed in the first place? Dry bones, sinews, everything came back together. Okay, but watch. Can God not put together what he knows belongs together? Not to mention, the Bible doesn't say we're going to have these same bodies. It says we're going to have a new and perfect, a, there's a new body waiting us. Thank the Lord, because this one's about wearing out. Right, Brother Ray? It, 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 it ain't wanting to, this morning was proof. I'm glad I'm going to have a new mind because it won't blank out on me. Somebody, somebody erased the whiteboard on me, and I'm like, duh, duh. All right, but this body, I'm going to put on, I'm going to have an incorruptible body. God is going to put together a brand new shell for me, and it's going to be glorified, and it's going to be magnified, and it's going to be, it's going to be holy in accordance to his will. Hallelujah. God does not need this particular body to bring about a resurrection of that which he is going to use for a glorified body. So, the idea that 
that cremation somehow destroys the opportunity of a body re- bodily resurrection, and therefore there's no way we can go to heaven if we're cremated, that, that is just fairy tale. That's saying that God's not big enough to put together what he wants to put together. He needs my help. And, and here's the last one. Y'all ready? And, and this, one, this one's my favorite. Isn't cremation a pagan practice? I get that one all the time. I get that. Anytime somebody brings it up, it's like, but it's, it's pagan. It's pagan. Ooh, I love it when they do that because I really enjoy going to this thought of paganism. Um, it is true that traditional Christian burial has its merits in representing the resurrection of Christ and in the remembrance of the encouragement from God's word concerning our resurrection. When you have a physical body burial, Yes, you get to remind everyone that Christ was buried and he arose and he is the first fruit of the resurrection. But as he arose, so shall we. Uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 and verse 13 to verse number 18, we use that oftentimes at the graveside to encourage people. Hey, uh, we're we're to encourage one another and uplift one another. And with these thoughts and these understandings that uh, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. We're we're not going to hinder those that have gone before. I mean, all these different things that we are to be excited about. And yes, a bodily burial can be a very good picture of the fact that this body's going in the ground but just as christ could not be held in the tomb uh, the grave has no power over a christian when it comes to the body that god is going to bring up and make new and 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 that grave has no power and death has no power all these things have been conquered no sting no power in christ as he arose so will we and yes, a bodily burial gives that a great opportunity to really preach and encourage the truth of what it can represent. And for that reason, I like traditional burials. But the question of pagan practice can actually be applied to both ways in which and both forms in which we bury today. You ready? Cremation has been used by many pagan nations over the years. You know, annihilation by fire. Here you go. Y'all hold on. But we don't actually bury according to how you see in the Bible. Oh, yes, we do. Oh, no, we don't. Number one, almost always... Not every time, but almost always. You're going to do the higher percentage. Almost always, they were buried in rock tombs. Hollowed out caves. There'd be multiple chambers created so the whole family at times could be in those areas and then it would be sealed. And we're put in dirt. And we're buried in the ground six feet under. Unless, of course, you're in New Orleans. They can't put you in the ground because you will float back up. Um, and when a hurricane comes through, let me tell you, we've had more than one time. Hurricanes come through, floodwaters come through, and those put in the ground, all of a sudden there are caskets everywhere. That's not a fun occasion. So they do mausoleums. And they're basically above-ground tombs that they slide in, and they don't go anywhere. 
that would be more correct to, to the majority of what you see in the Bible. But that alone is only one issue. The bigger issue is uh, we, we don't bury the same way they do uh, in the Bible for this reason. And clearly, uh, it, and here, here is the, 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 the issue with it. It's called embalming. Embalming is a system that is done prior to burial that is honestly required now in America, especially. If you want to trace back paganism, the most famous nation of people that you can go back to that were pagans that make embalming well known, they're not the only ones that did it, but one of the most famous ones would be what? Egypt. Whoa, oh, now we're talking about the world. Egypt would embalm, but here's why they embalmed. They would embalm because they believed in a afterlife that is more like reincarnated afterlife and that the body that the, of the pharaohs especially, but not just pharaohs, I love watching the History Channel, all that kind of stuff. I've watched I've, you know, the, the secrets of Egypt and all the tombs. and all. I, I love watching that stuff. So it's not just that. I mean, there, there, were, there were nobles, there were regular people. Now, they have different um, elaborate tombs or very humble ones where there's not even a seal. They just find them in a little hole somewhere. It's like, who is this? And come to find out, it's really nobody. <laughs> um, it's somebody, but they're nobody. And, um, but, but they still go through the same process of embalming. Why? Because it was a religious ritualistic thing that the body had to be preserved so that the soul of the individual once buried could revisit and re be reborn in that body, and they must have their body for the afterlife in order to survive. They had to have their riches for the afterlife. They had to have their servants for the afterlife. They had to have all this help. As a matter of fact, all the stuff on the walls, it looks all great. Ooh, this is really good. Look at all the archaeology. No, no, no. All of that, when you, when you actually have somebody who knows how to read it, all of that is instructions of how to get through the afterlife and all the perils you're going to face trying to get to your nirvana-type scenario. Your, your version of heaven. But they would embalm so as to preserve the body, so as to have a body for the soul to come back to so that they could live to go into their reincarnated afterlife. There's not a single person that dies today that is buried in a natural, what we call a Christian burial. There's not a single one that is not embalmed today. If you were to be buried naturally, you would actually do what God naturally designed and you would return to dust. But by being embalmed, you know that your body will decay over time, but it never actually accomplishes the full original design of returning to natural dust because of the embalming. Which, by the way, has its merits and it starts in paganism. So whether you are cremated or whether you were embalmed and buried, either way, you would be following, if you're going to use that premise, you're following a pagan practice. Well, it's not what I want. I don't want it either way. Well, it's just tough. America's not going to let you do it any other way. Unless, of course, you can pay somebody to put you in a pine box and go stick you outside, and then they might go to jail if they find somebody out in the backyard. So just understand that's an issue. Now you say, how do you know for sure that there was no embalming? Well, just two examples, and we'll be done. Lazarus. John eleven thirty nine. the Bible says, Jesus said, take ye away the stone. 
Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Four days, and he is already going to start stinking to the point that we don't want to roll that thing back. Trust me. Why would that be? Because there's no preservation of the body. It's just naturally buried. It is wrapped, and it's wrapped in a certain way to help with the the decomposing of the body, not to be overwhelming. But they had a process, but it was still natural. Embalming was not part of it. You could also find it with Jesus himself. In Mark 16, verse 1 through 4, it says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and uh, Salome uh, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. He's dead, he's buried, he's in the tomb, and they're coming back to anoint him. Now, Now, remember, they don't believe when he rises from the dead, so they're not expecting him to raise back up, so trying to keep him smelling good. They're doing what is the natural process of burial, but because of the Passover, they had no time to complete what they normally would have done before placing him in the tomb. So after the Passover, and when they are allowed to now come back and do some work, they're coming back to the tomb so as to finish the process with spices and smell goods and wrap to help finish the burial process of helping that which is naturally going to happen because they expect decay. They come to the tomb. The stone is rolled away. They're shocked because it was very great. It was a large stone. And they go in and they see the angel. We know they see a young man. They see a young individual in the Bible talks and it says actually, um, uh, and when they looked, they saw the stone rolled away for his great. I'm trying, hold on, I'm missing it here. It's further down in the, in the passage. I'm about to, well, we, you can go back and read it. Mark 16, verse 1 through 4. Um, it, it mentions about um, the individual that they see once they enter. I believe verse number 5 talks about once they enter the sepulcher. But they're expecting to find the dead body and they're expecting to finish the job of putting spices and, and things to help. Why? Because that was the process of the burial. We don't do that. We embalm. When you embalm, you don't have to worry about smell. All that stuff's gone, and then we bury people. And so technically, we do still not follow the biblical aspect of what you would even see as examples in its entirety. So here's the conclusion, and we're done, all right? We're actually going to get all the way through. woo I know, it's 720. I didn't do that great on time. But here we go. Without a clear, here's the conclusion. Without a clear and direct command in Scripture concerning this matter, it is important to understand that each individual must follow what the Lord gives them personally as direction to follow in how things should be done for them. The importance of eternity rests in what we do in this life with Christ and the blood that he shed for us, not in what is done with this mortal body after we are dead. Eternity rests on what we do with Christ in this life and with the blood that he shed for us while we still have a chance to make the choice. This issue is truly about, now what? Don't just understand. It's truly about personal preference or you could even say it this way, 
It's more about individual conviction that God places on your life. But where the Bible is not strictly clear and directly commands, be careful being dogmatic about what everybody must follow. Well, I believe it ought to be this way. That's wonderful. That's great. If God has given you that personal conviction for you, then don't go against it. Stick with it. But don't say someone is condemned to be out of the will of God if they follow another process because in the end, you've got to show me book, chapter, and verse where God said, thou cannot. Where he strictly said, this is not for the child of God. You may not get a direct thou shalt not on some things, but you do get a very direct teaching of where we should be away from or those things which we should follow in many other areas. But this particular scenario of of cremation versus burial, there is no direct command for either way as to how it is to be done. So, here's my last warning for us. Be careful majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors when God's word gives no direct command or doctrine of truth concerning a particular matter. So, what is my personal preference I pretty much stated it several times. I do prefer traditional Christian burial for all the things that you can represent and remind God's people about the hope we have, not just for this life only, but for eternity. In Christ, the grave has no power. Death has no sting. It's all gone because of Christ. And it's wonderful to be able to share that when you're looking at the shell and realizing what matters is already gone. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. It's a lot harder to do that when you're looking at a jar. It's not impossible, but it is a lot harder. But in my personal opinion, according to the scriptures that I read, and some of them I don't find, I have a hard time putting condemnation on one person's view of burial and one person's view of cremation. I have a hard time personally saying you're right and you're wrong. You're godly, you're ungodly. You're biblical and you're not biblical. Because the Bible doesn't give exactly clear commands as to how we go about it. It just reminds us that death has no sting, sin has no hold, the grave has no power, And just as Christ was resurrected, we will too. And we're going to be resurrected to glorified, created bodies that God himself designs. And from what, I don't know. But whatever it is, it's going to be a lot better than what I got right now. So my whole thing is just be careful with a dogmatic mentality. Know where where God wants you to stand. Know where God wants you to do for you. Know, Know that and hold to it. But understand there's no direct command. Hope that's helpful tonight because a lot of folks have have wondered. A lot of folks have heard others stand and say, it's ungodly, it's ungodly, it's ungodly, it's unbiblical. You got to show me. It's not there. All right. So let me pray. And uh, I I will say this. Just keep in mind, the most important thing is helping people understand where are you going to spend eternity? Not where is your body going to spend temporary? Eternity matters. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for the Lord.